Hello, this is Sam Sutton. This is Chris Wachowski. And Eamon Murphy. Alan Townsend. And this is a, another episode of the PE Hub podcast. Uh, before we get into our uh, podcast topics today, Chris is going to talk to us a little bit about AEA equity. I'm going to talk a little bit about public pensions as always. And Eamon's going to kick it, lead things off for us with a uh, story that he did about Singularity University. I want to remind you, as always, to check out our content at pehub.com. A lot of great articles up today, including some uh, stories about CalPERS and some stories about uh, Gores Group, or Gores Group spin-out, I should say. Uh, also, go to partnerconnectevents.com to sign up for our upcoming events. Uh, the next one is on March 19th through the 21st in Boston. It's at the Hyatt Regency, and that's Partner Connect East. David Rubenstein will be he- headlining that uh, that event. And then a uh, another one in May uh, in San Francisco at the Marines Memorial Club, and that's Emerging Manager Connect. Um, so definitely go check those out. Uh, and with that, let's kick things off with you, Eamon. How you doing today? Good. Feeling Very okay? Post Super Bowl or? Yeah, you know, I... Um, Eagles. I enjoyed the game, but I wasn't, I didn't celebrate Philadelphia style, so I'm fine. That's good. That's actually <laughs> burn anything or smash <laughs> windows. Yeah. yeah. Um, my insides feel like they're on fire, but <laughs> that's not, not quite the same thing. Um, tell us a little bit about Singularity University and how it relates to Blackstone Group, because I think they, they mentioned this on an earnings call, right? Yeah, this was the call, the analyst call. Um, Tony James, the president and COO of Blackstone, was asked about data and technology opportunities. And he gave an interesting answer. He expressed a lot of enthusiasm um, for data and said that, in fact, the entire private equity group was at that moment um, in Palo Alto attending something called Singularity University. Um, And that sort of stuck out to me because it was something I'd heard about maybe 10 years ago when a guy I knew, a friend of a friend, got very fascinated by this idea of the singularity Mm -hmm. and and took off and went to this place called Singularity University. What is the singularity? Singularity is this theoretical point at which technological change becomes self-sustaining. So AI in particular is able to improve itself and um, the consequences on society are completely transformative. And it's the kind of thing that we can't even really imagine at this point. So you have to start a think tank, you know, and have people sit around and and talk about it, I guess. And that's the idea. Uh, But it turns out that they have a a corporate training program. Mm -hmm. And that presumably is what Blackstone um, went out to attend. One of those sessions was running at the time of the call. Mm -hmm. Um, So everybody, Tony James said, from Joe Barada, who's the global head of private equity, down to the most junior guys, he said, attended this, um, this program which, um, according to the website, the point of it is to uh, educate leaders on how to apply exponential technologies to address humanity's grand challenges, you know, the Silicon Valley language for these kind of nebulous ideas about how technology is going to uh, change things. Yeah, I, I, that's where I always struggle when it comes to any story about kind of big ideas in Silicon Valley is the grandiosity of it. And having I went to the website after you wrote this story and some of the content that they put up, like articles about the singularity and you know how you can be a better leader, really kind of hit every single note of Silicon Valley speak, <laughs> um, really just to the nth degree. So yeah. I'll be interested to see if Blackstone executives come back sounding like they, you know, sounding like a character from HBO Silicon Valley. Yeah, I would love to know whose idea it was, you know, who decided this would be a worthwhile exercise. I'm sure it is. I'm sure there's... 
valuable stuff that they learn there. But well, that's the thing. Like, what what are they taking away? You know, it's it's yeah. too bad that they wouldn't talk about it <clears throat> to you because I'd be interested to see what they're learning it. Yeah, but it's also not exactly their uh, you know investment wheelhouse. These kinds yeah. of emerging technologies, mm-hmm. um, you know, they advertise three D printing and robotics and VR headsets and drones and things that we all associate more with venture capital mm-hmm. and um, nerds. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and science fiction and. Um, but I guess the idea is that everybody is going to have to be contending with these things at a certain point, mm-hmm. perhaps, you know, even before the singularity. Um, <laughs> so it's worthwhile even for people who invest in, you know, consumer or industrial or whatever kind of infrastructure, whatever kind of companies. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Because if you just think about, like, sort of the consumer sector, just going with one of your examples, 10 years ago, you know, online com- e-commerce was not really, it was a thing, but it was not the thing. And now I can't remember the last time that I, like, went to a store to buy yeah. light yeah. bulbs or, sure. you know. They pitch it in those terms, you know, that you're either the disruptor or the disrupted, you know, which is what <laughs> all these, you know, <laughs> large corporations are sort of afraid of and why they're acquiring, you know, yeah. potential competitors or new younger companies. Um, maybe more interesting on the call, but related to in the same answer, he talked about building an internal data group, mm-hmm. which will start to um, look for information coming from portfolio companies that could be useful for the investment process, but also for third parties. So potentially, you know, marketing that information as a, as a product on its own. Is that part of the, um, the uh, deal with Thomson Reuters that they just did? I think it was, he mentioned it in this, in the context of, um, of, you know, why that was a good deal, because that deal, uh, there's a lot of data, financial data. What, before we say why that was a good deal, what exactly did they do? just want to make that clear for any listeners who don't. They bought a majority stake in the financial and risk division of Thomson Reuters, um, which, you know, is sort of the, the Bloomberg competitor kind mm-hmm. of with the terminals and the, and the information. But he said on the call that, um, you know, the terminals are the legacy business and it's really the data that they're Got it. interested in. Surprising that Blackstone wouldn't already be collecting that data from their own port- portfolio companies. I'm I mean, sure I imagine they, they are in some way. Yeah. yeah. Maybe now they want to make it, uh, you know, more available, easier to access. Yeah, I suspect it's to more outside uh, groups. Streamline the process for it, maybe. Yeah. Or it's about manipulating it, and and you know, I mean, because there's a lot of talk about cleaning up data. You know, you get the data, but yeah. then you have to make it like, do usable it? and understandable yeah. and and whatnot. Absolutely. Well. Why, why did he bring that up in the first place? He was asked about data and technology and sort of how, the, how they see themselves and how well positioned they are. It was one of the first questions, and um, it seemed like a question he was sort of teed up for because he ended his answer by saying, we want to be the leading firm in the industry in the use and application of technology and data. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, I really do hope that the next earnings call has a lot of the Singularity University language. Yeah, I hope they come back just, like, completely transformed into, like, you know, sort of millenarian technology (laughs) cultists. (laughs) Wearing white robes. Yeah. Yeah. Silver headbands. Like, the the Singularity doesn't come, and then the date is changed. (laughs) I feel like the the Singularity coming is kind of like the Messiah coming for a lot of these people. Yeah, Kurzweil makes this prediction, and, you know, everyone... Pairs and yeah. <laughs> gets pushed back. Yeah, it has a little bit more in common with like kind of uh, storefront churches that I'm <laughs> that I'm comfortable with. But we'll see. They're smarter people than me, that's for sure. So um, on that note, we'll transition to uh, another story that's a little bit more in the here and now, and that's uh, AEA investors selling a stake of itself to the DeVos family. Chris, you did a story on this uh, last week, I believe. 
Uh, I think so. I can't even remember anymore. Last week, I believe it was last week or that's two weeks the, ago. That's the effect of all those concussions <laughs> that you watched last night. No, it's because the pace of change is so fast. It's, it's just, that's it's, right, yeah. It's beyond, it's beyond my brain. I haven't, I haven't trained my brain. To, yeah, exactly. And you're not self-sustaining. We know that <laughs> we got to get you to Singularity University. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was a Singularity pill I could take. I <laughs> <laughs> um, have it. It's called Xanax. <laughs> <laughs> it's called cocaine. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was an interesting story because um, I have a little uh, conspiracy theorist living inside me okay. that wants to come out, and um, I try to hold him back. But it's for the best. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Here we have a firm called AEA Investors, which is a very, very secretive firm that mm-hmm. doesn't like to talk about itself or have very much media. So your interest is peaked immediately. Immediately peaked, but yeah. that's pretty common for yeah. a PE. However, this firm traces its roots back to 1968, when it was formed by interest of the Rockefeller, Mellon, and Harriman families, along with S.G. Warburg and Co. Oh, the Illuminati. <laughs> They're probably listening now. <laughs> so as, as you, here is the unseen hand yeah. directing all of uh, modern history. Mm-hmm. Um, so this firm, this firm uh, you know, comes, from, comes from some powerful roots. Yeah. And um, one of its LPs is, is something called the RDV Corp. And RDV Corp is a family office that manages the fortune of the Devos family. Devos family made its fortune from uh, starting multi-channel marketing giant Amway, which um, if you look up Amway, uh, you'll get a interesting mix of uh, Google uh, search hits on is this a pyramid scheme? Mm -hmm. And I think the conclusion is that no, it's not. But interesting enough that, uh, you know. Yeah, (laughs) a lot of people are certainly asking that. That comes up at all. Um, anyway, RDV Corp is an LP in AEA and took a minority stake in the firm. I don't know details of this transaction. For instance, I don't know um, how big of a stake it took, and I don't know sort of if this was a um, senior executive's cashing out mm-hmm. or if this is just um, sort of uh, capital on the balance sheet for things like firm expansion and future GP commitments or some combination of those two. Got it. Now, their strategy now, is it primarily just buyouts and industrials or is it? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious if maybe they've like hired a credit team at any time recently or well, something like that. Well, not recently though. They do have mezzanine funds, okay. but they've been around for a while okay. and, and they do have a um, like small business fund, but, okay. al- but also that's been around for a while. So these aren't new strategies for AEA. Interesting. Um, uh, this was an interesting deal in that one of the firm's LPs bought a stake. Yeah. And so we saw that before with Riverside Company, which sold a minority stake to one of its LPs, a family office out of Cleveland called Parkwood. Um, generally, with these types of deals, you see firms that are raising money to buy minority stakes in management companies. And so whenever you see this sort of like one-off, outside-the-boundaries kind of deal where an LP is sort of quietly buying a stake in a GP... I, I think that that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, this trend is likely to continue, whether it's a firm's own LPs taking a stake or if it's an outside firm like Dial or Goldman Sachs buying mm-hmm. a stake. Um, it looks like the pipeline for these opportunities is 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 stacked this year. Mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody who was in the business recently who said that not only in the middle market, which is where you, you would likely see a lot of these deals off just because mm-hmm. of the size of the middle market, mm-hmm. but even at the higher end of the market, um, this person was saying that they're seeing a ton of opportunities. And so um, it's likely that, that we'll continue to see this trend this year. This came up in the placement agent 
interview I did. Yeah. He talked about this as a strategy for dealing with fees, um, that you would buy a stake in the management company um, as, a, as a way of reducing kind of your fee load. Yeah, and then you're also collecting other people's fees. Yeah. So, so, so as the buyer, you're saying? Yeah, the LP would sort the of LP. offset their what they're paying out, I guess, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. when they buy into the stake, they get a, a portion of the feedback. W- one, one sort of model of the economics we've seen is that the buyer will then get a, get a portion of the management fee as well as get a portion of the carry. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not universal across every deal, but that's, that's sort of a com- one of the common uh, models that we've seen. So um, I, I know that there are a few public institutions that are starting to talk about this. I think Calster's couple months ago put out a report saying that in addition to expanding like co-investments and direct investments they were also interested in exploring the possibility of taking a stake in a, in a general partner interesting other firms have done our other firms have done the silver lake sold a stake in itself to calpers yeah carlisle carlisle yeah so and um i was talking to an lp last week who's who was saying that everybody is thinking about it mm-hmm. any gp you talk to is at least thinking about it, you know, if they're not on the cusp of actually ex- executing on a transaction like this. And so, you know, there's money in the market for it, billions of dollars. And, um, you know, it's a way, for, for the GP's perspective, it's a way to finally take some of that cash off the table that you have invested in, in your entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also potentially could be a good way to uh, plan for succession down yep. the line. Yeah, yeah, I've done a couple interviews about that. Yeah. And it's a yeah, it forces that conversation because the investor or the person who's buying a stake will want to know, okay, if so and so gets hit by the proverbial bus or decides to retire or whatever, we we need to make sure that our investment is is healthy yeah. on a go forward basis. Yeah, what what am I investing in? Oh my god, I just said on a go forward basis. Oh, <laughs> <Ugh>, that's <laughs> awful. I'm sorry. In 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 a in a situation like that, uh, the firm likely is going to have to have a real strong bench underneath the current senior leadership mm-hmm. um, because, you know, this, this minority investor is investing, obviously, in the future. And so, um, you know, there needs to be a strong um, level of junior executive behind the current leadership. So it's an interesting trend, and, and it'll uh, we're, we're going to see a lot more of it this year. Well, we're going to talk about another story that you did after the break here, and that had to do with a, a firm actually losing a couple members of its bench, but with, with the backing of the parent firm. So I'm uh, going to pause here for a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back with more from Chris. Hey, guys. Just want to remind you again to sign up for Partner Connect East 2018 at PartnerConnectEvents.com. The conference is March 19th to 21st at the Hyatt Regency in Boston, We'll be awarding Carlyle Group co-founder David Rubenstein with a Lifetime Achievement Award. And the event features panels with speakers from firms like Bain Capital, Aberdeen Asset Management, and Stepstone Group. Also, we have another Emerging Manager event coming up on May 1st in San Francisco. So if you're a first-time manager or if you're interested in investing with the next generation of top firms, definitely sign up. All of the information for both events can be found at PartnerConnectEvents.com. Back to the show. And we're back. Before we get to uh, a conversation that I'm going to lead here, I'm sorry, I'm taking the reins. I'm going to lead this conversation. <laughs> Before we get to a conversation about public pensions, I want to want to talk about uh, another story that you did, Chris, and that was the uh, Gores Group spin out. Um, a lot. It seems like there's been a number of teams that have spun out of Gores Group over the last few years. Uh, why is this one different? 
Well, so uh, there's a lot going on at Gore's Group mm-hmm. um, and has been going on for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And what's happening now is Gore's Group is fundamentally changing its business. It's, it's going to go from a traditional private equity firm, as we would recognize, mm-hmm. to something that is deal by deal. Um, it's not likely, well, not going to at this time raise any new funds. Mm-hmm. And so whenever that happens, that brings on a lot of changes. People, yeah. people want to get out and figure out a, Understandably. a way to find carry. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there has been a few spin outs. And this one is actually they I don't think would call it a spin out mm-hmm. because Alec Gores, who, who runs Gores Group Billionaire, um, it, uh, is sort of partnering with the two executives that are that are leaving Gores. Mm-hmm in terms of committing to the new fund, 300 million target, and then also um, acting as sort of a passive senior advisor um, that will be available for, um, like, I don't know, consultation on deals and sourcing and things like that. Alec Gores is not leaving Gores Group. Gores Group will continue um, as a uh, deal-by-deal firm and also uh, will have uh, another SPAC, as I understand, a special purpose acquisition vehicle. Um, But... Um, you know, won't have a new sort of institutional fund. Um, so they they don't call it a spin out. They it's it's more like it's almost like Gore's is taking an economic interest in this new firm. So it's more like a um, seeding a new firm, I guess you could you could say. Got it. The firm itself will be very similar to Gore's small capitalization fund, which okay. which uh, operates in the lower mi- middle market, looks for complex situations. Um, that is essentially what this firm will do, um, being launched by two executives named John Gimble and Anthony Guagliano. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Gimble came from Gore's small cap group, and uh, Guagliano uh, was just a senior executive within Gore's. And so, um, yeah, so this is one of many spinouts uh, that, that we have been hearing about the past couple of years. This one getting, for obvious reasons, getting getting a good amount of attention from LPs. Park Hill is actually the the uh, placement agent on this mm-hmm. Re- just just recently hit the market. Uh, it has been had been in the works for a while, and now it's officially on the market. So that's pretty recent. And um, I imagine they'll have a little bit of an easier time raising too, just because they have the backing of their former boss. Yeah, and and so I don't know what kind of stake uh, Gore's, yeah. Gore's is putting in, but I mean, obviously, it's it's going to be a significant stake, and, and it'll be a show of confidence, you mm-hmm. know, to, to other LPs. And so th- this would almost be a situation where it's like, it's almost like not a first time fund. I mean, it is, but yeah. you could say that you know they're continuing a strategy that at least for the Gore's group, the small cap strategy, that's the best performing fund that Gore's has. Yeah, um, so that, they can point to that. They can point to that, you know, um, and uh, so yeah, so that that's. Uh, that's one spin out of, of many that we've, we'll, we'll be tracking and, and that I expect to hear about this year. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's been a lot of interesting spin outs over the past few years. This is another one of them. I hear about a couple others that I'm working on trying to get stories on um, already. So it's going to be, it's going to be a busy, a busy area. Yeah. New year, new me, I guess applies to uh, <laughs> private equity folks. Too. Yeah. Well, as long as, well, Considering what the market did on Friday and, and what yeah, it, maybe it's it, not it, a good time. It, it, who knows what's going to happen <laughs> with fundraising this year? You know, uh, yeah. when, when the markets collapse, uh, private equity fundraising is not far behind. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, actually, Tony James was on Bloomberg today and said that he sees the potential for a 10 or 20% correction yeah. in the market. The stock that. market. So, so it'll be interesting to see how that ripples into the private equity universe, uh, if it continues, yeah. obviously. But um, for now, anyway, fundraising has been strong and will remain strong, and that's going to continue to lead to spin-out activity. That's what everyone's saying. Yeah. So. Well, with your conversation about spin-outs, I wanted to kind of bring up another topic that I guess is tangentially related. Um, well, it's not related at all. So I'll, just, <laughs> I'll, just, so I'll just say that. Smooth transition. Very smooth transition. Uh, should public pensions invest in private equity? Ah, that's um, kind of like the singularity question. It, I guess. Uh, that's like the several hundred billion dollar question. It is, yeah. It's the, it is a trillion dollar question. Um, I'm just going to keep up in the ante. <laughs> but no, the reason I bring it up is because um, I was in Trenton, New Jersey last week to cover the New Jersey State Investment Council meeting. And unlike most New Jersey State Investment Council meetings, there were no private equity or alternative asset commitments made at this particular meeting. Um, and that's really unusual because New Jersey is extremely active as an LP. They have longstanding relationships with a lot of uh, top tier firms. And they tend to re-up, you know, whenever those firms are in market. A lot of those firms are in market right now. Uh, but one of the reasons why the, that the council chair, Tom Burns, said they didn't make a commitment, one of the reasons was because, uh, one, it was their annual meeting and their agenda was already massive. Mm-hmm. And two, uh, wanted to show some deference to uh, the new New Jersey governor, Governor Murphy. Um, and Governor Murphy has campaigned or campaigned, included it as part of his campaign, came out pretty strongly against uh, alternative assets uh, within the pension system, saying that they're high costs and that they don't do a whole lot. I, I mean, p- part of his platform was literally divesting from private equity. That was yeah. on the website. Yeah, which is, I guess, unusual for <laughs> Goldman Sachs, former Goldman Sachs ex- executive. But it, it's just also unusual because it seems like New Jersey's private equity program's done quite well yeah. over the last... 10 or 15 years, however long it's been around. Um, I know that at the at the meeting, uh, Chris McDonough, the director of uh, New Jersey's Division of Investment, which manages the pension system, uh, showed a chart saying you know that private equity was the top performing asset class the last 10 years. Uh, their private equity portfolio generated something like 12, 12.5% last year, which is well above their assumed rate of return of 7%. So it, it seems to be a useful part of their portfolio but uh, elected officials seem to think otherwise. And I was just kind of curious to get your guys' take as people who cover the industry as to whether or not public pensions should invest in private equity. Well, what's, what's, and we, we, could, we could really, really go deep with this. So mm-hmm. what, what's interesting about Jersey is Jersey is, I don't, I don't remember quite its ranking, but one, two, or three of the, of the most underfunded pension systems in the country. Yeah, it's like 50% funded. <clears throat> yeah, you know, uh, New Jersey, Illinois. Connecticut, think, uh, yeah. Kentucky. Kentucky has a couple that are really, really in rough shape. And so Jersey, Jer- I mean, Jersey has um, ignored its pension problem for many years. The state, the state didn't make its required uh, contributions, contributions, and they decided we're going to make that up with investment returns. And that's why in 2005, mm-hmm. uh, the system created its, its private equity program. Yeah. And the program has been doing what it is supposed to do, is is sort of make up that gap. But you can't make up that gap just through investment returns. It's just not, it's not feasible. You know, considering that also that you're not always going to have a strong market like we've had for the past couple of years. 
And that's the thing, is that a lot of the, and I feel like it tends to come, this is an issue that attracts uh, people from both the right and the left. And I was going to bring up North Carolina, their treasurer, Dale Falwell, Mm. who I think is a very right-of-center guy on most things. He has stopped that pension system from committing to new private equity funds for a year now. They had a decent returns last year, but, you know, you wonder if the market takes a dive, if equity, I mean, we're already seeing it right now. The market's down like a thousand points from a week ago. Mm. Um, You know, what will that mean if you're, you know, holding off on anything private, anything alternative? And this is, I mean, not to get too political, but I mean, to to me, it's sort of the um, fundamental flaw in this um, defined benefit system that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, people continue to get older, they continue to retire, they continue to collect pensions, and these plans don't change as new workers come in. And it, it's just, uh, you know, some people some people look at it as like a Ponzi scheme. I mean, now can you call it a Ponzi scheme when it's the government, when it's the state kicking in money? Uh, I don't know, but. It's to me, it's a flawed system that is not getting fixed, and the band aid is that we have to get riskier and riskier to try to to try to get bigger and bigger returns, mm-hmm. and that's why pension systems in this country right now can't abandon private equity. Yeah, because they're not getting that return anywhere else. Sorry. No, just w- what you say. I feel like is the fundamental issue is it's a political question as to how you're going to structure these programs, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the choice is sort of made to underfund them and that provides an opening for the private managers. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I don't I'm not qualified to say which is more efficient. I and mean, it's it's a question for an economist, I guess, to say is it more efficient for the state to just fund its liabilities? But there is a political question at issue, which is, should the state just do that? Should the state take responsibility for its workers um, and fulfill that responsibility, you know, through a public system, as opposed to outsourcing it to people who get quite wealthy off of it, and that's a privatized, you know, gain? I mean, when I look at the entire universe that has sprung up around this system, because, right, I mean, pension funds were sort of the first big LPs, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, for U.S. Yeah, in the well, U.S. When I look at that, it, you know, I don't know the answer to the question, but it is striking that you have this whole system that's dedicated to to filling this gap, and and you wonder whether that's the most efficient way. Well, there's also there's an investment component to it as well, which is in the past public pensions were just invested in basically stocks and bonds, yeah. and that was that. And for the te- past ten years, fixed income portfolios haven't generated any meaningful return. Yeah. And so if you're relying entirely on the stock market, sometimes that can be great. The last couple of years it's been solid, but sometimes that can really hurt you. And so they need to put their money in something that will continue to generate a return even when the stock market isn't doing so hot. Yeah. And that's the hope that for private equity and for private debt and a bunch of other uh, alternative asset classes. Well, this, this also reminds me of the end of the, the Blackstone call because Tony James was talking about um, getting alternatives into 401k type plans. Yep. And he was saying, he was so emphatic on this point, there is no other way to fund people's retirement. Well, that's not quite true. I mean, the, you, you could in theory expand social security or things like that. But he's saying within certain assumptions, there is no other way. And to get the returns up from 2 or 3% to more like 5 or 6%, you need to put in you know, products like Blackstone offers, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, but there is a question there about whether there is no other, uh, no other way. 
I don't know. It doesn't seem like they're. I feel a lot of sympathy for public pension officials because I feel like their hands are totally tied. Yeah, they have yeah. to. They're continue. fighting a losing battle. Yeah, they have to continue shoveling money into private equity, yeah. which is generating a great return for them. But it comes with. I mean, there's another political component to this too, and that's you know the lack of transparency. Yeah. The you mentioned earlier, Eamon, that people are getting rich off this. Obviously, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that doesn't look good when. Your public, uh, when your private equity manager is taking, I've heard stories about private equity managers, you know, pulling up to meetings in limos and stuff like that, and it just sends a bad message to board members and beneficiaries that, you know, these guys are getting rich, we're underfunded, and even though they're generating a return, it seems like maybe the the cost isn't, uh, the cost hasn't gone down even though the re- even though the return has started to come down as well. Sorry, that was a little jumbled. No, but um, I could hear sort of their response yeah. to when you were talking about the New Jersey governor and saying on his website, get rid of private equity. I mean, that they're just being singled out. You know, people hear private equity, they think of it as a negatively marked term. Maybe they don't even know what it means, but they're just sort of this political pinata. I, I bet that is how. A know, lot of them feel that way, yeah, yeah. for sure. And maybe there's some truth in that there's that, that the truth. details are not yeah. so well understood. But yeah. then you but then you see I mean sticking with Blackstone, but then you see Steve Schwartzman throwing a massive birthday party for himself in West right. Palm Beach or in Palm Beach. Excuse me, not West Palm Beach. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, no, that no, wouldn't no. do. In Palm Beach. <laughs> uh, earlier this year and you know, he's a major relationship for New Jersey. He's a major relationship for California. These are systems that are, you know, underfunded and uh, I'm guessing that if you are, uh, you know, a political person, you'll look at that and say, "Oh, there's there's an easy target. Yeah. I can hit on that for sure." Yeah, especially, especially, I don't know. Most of these boards, or a lot of these pension boards, include you know elected union of, reps, elected officials. Know? Yeah. And so, uh, in New Jersey, is famous for its its meetings where you have a couple of the board members who are union, who bring their supporters into the audience. And yeah. you know, once once the uh, once the private equity conversation starts, it gets it gets raucous. It can oh, get raucous. So. It was very tame last week. I will say that. I've, I, I've been, been I've been to a few that 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 were rocking yeah. for a while. Um, rocking and trending. <laughs> rocking and trending. <laughs> but any, anyway, and, and there's also the sort of practical side of uh, Phil, Phil Burphy's idea of divesting yeah. private equity, which is uh, it, it wouldn't happen for what 10, 15 years. I mean, it would be a long process. Or they or they could do a, a secondary sale. I mean, could. Los Angeles County is selling 1.4 billion of their portfolio. Yeah. I think they have a five billion dollar private equity portfolio, and they're selling 1.4. That's a that's a huge chunk, and I have to wonder, you know, if that is a politically motivated. Uh, decision as well. Yeah, that, I, I wonder what it is, or if it's just uh, sort of portfolio management. It might know? be. I mean, it very well could just be portfolio management. And I think that they've identified like a hundred odd managers or thirty odd managers that they don't want to work with anymore, and that's why they're doing it. Yeah. But um, the timing of it's weird, and I don't know. Just a, it, it's a weird story. That's a weird story too. I should say. Well, so that that's 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 my that's that's my take is that uh, pu- public pensions can't escape private equity. It's it's not even a question of should they be. They must be because of the system that we have right now. Yeah, that's, that's the way I see it. Yeah, and I think I agree with that. What do you think? I just I think that it, it yeah I, that's true. But then the question is you know well what about what about the system and is it inevitable that these pensions are so underfunded? We're, we're basically asked to conclude that it is. Yeah, you know that these are are liabilities that that couldn't be fixed any other way. And I just think that's, that's a suspect assumption. Are you saying to fight the system? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it would take, 
you know, a bit more documentation to really get to the bottom of it. But when someone says, someone with an interest in, in a particular solution says, there is no other way, that's yeah. when you should maybe say, hmm, well, well, you know. There probably is. Yeah. Well, on that note, we will uh, draw this episode of the PE Hub podcast to a close. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, check out our stuff on pehub.com and uh, check out our events at partnerconnectevents.com. Thank you, and uh, go Eagles. Eagles. <laughs> go Birds. Fly. <laughs> <laughs>